open your Bibles to Psalm 94 with me. Psalm 94. And you'll notice this psalm is uh, praising God and praying to Him for a theme in the Scriptures and an attribute of God that is not often sung about by the congregation. Namely, the opening line, O Yahweh, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. This is a psalm lifting to your hearts and to your mouths the vengeance of God, the retribution of God, and the justice of God when we look around ourselves and all we see is injustice and all we see is oppression and sin and arrogance against the Lord. And this psalm is pleading upon God to come with vengeance. I've titled this sermon, Wait for the Lord and He will save you. Wait for the Lord and He will save you. And I draw that title from Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22. That reads this, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for Yahweh and He will save you. Wait for Yahweh and He will save you. And so there's uh, something in our hearts that we need to examine ourselves even before we come to praise the Lord for an attribute like His vengeance. There's some thinking that we need to lay aside and there's some thinking that we need to put on before we come to the psalm. And it's captured in that verse in Proverbs chapter 20. Do not say, I will repay evil. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. It is not our personal revenge that we come to meditate on this morning. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35 says, Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time their foot will slip. Vengeance is something that belongs solely to God. So we need to lay aside this morning as we come to God's Word any sinful desire for personal revenge. God's vengeance is never about settling my own personal score. And we need to lay that aside. Secondly, we need to lay aside any sinful desire to gloat over seeing the wicked fall. That is not in the heart of God when we speak of His vengeance. Again, from Proverbs chapter 24, verses 17 and 18, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Or Yahweh will see it and be displeased and turn His anger away from him. There's a danger when calling upon God to shine forth His justice that we would raise ourselves up in a proud and glad way at the fall of sinners. And that is not in the heart of the Lord. Ezekiel 18, verse 23 says this, Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? Answer, no. And verse 32 of that same chapter, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. So we need to lay aside anything in our minds approaching this psalm this morning that would be glad to see a sinner perish. And yet, this psalm makes no apology to raise to your heart and to your mind the prayer, O Yahweh, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. So I commend this psalm to you without apology. I want you to drink deeply of what the Lord has for us this morning. But I want to make sure you're coming to the Word of God, humble and contrite in heart, that we may receive from the Lord what He has for us this morning. And as we wait for the Lord and see how He will save us, let's read the psalm together now. Psalm 94. O Yahweh, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render recompense to the proud. 
How long shall the wicked, O Yahweh, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour forth words. They speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O Yahweh, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. They have said, Yahweh does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Pay heed, you senseless among the people. And when will you understand, stupid ones? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke? Even he who teaches man knowledge. Yahweh knows the thoughts of man, that they are a mere breath. Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Yahweh, and whom you teach out of your law, that you may grant him relief from the days of adversity until a pit is dug for the wicked. For Yahweh will not abandon his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. For judgment again will be righteous, and the upright in heart will follow it. Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Who will take His stand for me against those who do wickedness? If Yahweh had not been my help, my soul would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence. If I should say, my foot has slipped, Your loving kindness, O Yahweh, will hold me up. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, Your consolations delight my soul. Can a throne of destruction be allied with You? one which devises mischief by decree. They band themselves together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But Yahweh has been my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He has brought back their wickedness upon them and will destroy them in their evil. Yahweh, our God, will destroy them. This psalm has so much to teach us this morning. So much to lift our hearts, both in praise and adoration and in trust to the Lord as we look out upon a world that is increasing in its rebellion against God. And I want to give you my outline ahead of time. I'm just going to divide this into four. Four stanzas. Verses 1-7. through seven. Call that the case for God's vengeance. The psalmist makes a case for God's vengeance. And secondly, verses 8 through 11, the psalmist then makes a call to the senseless. A call to the senseless. And then in verses 12 through 15, comfort in distress. And then in the fourth stanza, verses 16 to the end, verse 23. The captain in the conflict. The captain in the conflict. So let's dive into this psalm and look first at the case for God's vengeance that the psalmist lays out in front of us. He says, O Yahweh, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. And this is the primary attribute upon which the psalmist lays his thoughts. And he knows, even from the opening line, that vengeance belongs to the Lord. As we read in Deuteronomy, vengeance is mine and retribution. This is a call for justice to be done throughout the earth. You'll notice he asks God to shine forth, to rise up in verse 2, and to render recompense. He is not out for personal revenge. He is not out for just His own sorrow to be healed by the Lord. No, He is after the judge of the earth to make Himself known. And that opening line, shine forth. This is the, the same thing that God did upon Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given. And you remember the terror of cloud that came over that mountain. And how the people of Israel cried out to Moses, let not this God speak to us or we will die. 
You speak to us and you go to Him. For if He would speak to us in this way, we will die. And God said, that is good. They fear me. And it seems as the psalmist looks around the nation of Israel, all he sees is the crushing of God's people. All he sees is the proud arrogance being lifted up against God. And all it would take is for God to shine forth. Let God show up and good would win the day. wonder if you've ever felt like that in days like this when we live in a land whose sinfulness and wicked deeds are increasing and you think to yourself, if only God would rend the heavens and come down. If only His glory would be put on display, their mouths would be shut in a moment. This is the prayer of the psalmist. And he begins to build his case. The wicked are raising themselves up and he says, rise up, O judge of the earth. Render recompense to the what? To the proud. The first thing he characterizes the sinfulness and the wickedness around him is the sin of pride. It is a lifting up in arrogance before God. And all the evil deeds that come after are characterized by this pride. Are characterized by uh, an attitude that would uh, vaunt itself before everyone around. And he simply asks this question, how long? How long shall the wicked, and he repeats it, how long shall the wicked exalt? And that word exalt means to gloat. It means to glory. It means to triumph. It means to celebrate. And he says, Lord, as I look around at what should be a land characterized by the worship of You, I see men and women gloating in their sin. Happy to go after vice upon vice. Joyful at how much sin they can rack up against You and celebrating as they do it. How long, O God, will this go on? And notice in verses 4-7, through he makes a progression in his case. He begins with the mouth and then he goes to the deeds and then he concludes with their summary thoughts. Verse 4, they pour forth words. They speak arrogantly. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? They are literally gushing forth, the psalmist says. They cannot stop themselves. There is a, a flow of arrogant words just coming out of them. They speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They're bragging about themselves to everyone. Their lips are characterized by what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, the venom of asps is under their lips. They use their mouths for cursing and bitterness. Oh, and they are proud in how they do it. Does this not characterize our land and our day? When wickedness is celebrated, when the oppression of the most vulnerable is rejoiced in. And that is what they do in verse 5. They are oppressing the most vulnerable. Verse 5, they crush your people, O Yahweh, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. These are now moving from their mouth to their deeds. This is what they're doing. And in the original, these verses pull forward to the front the groups of people that are receiving this affliction for emphasis. 
Let me read it for you. Your people, O Yahweh, they crush, and your heritage they afflict. The widow and the stranger they slay, and the orphans they murder. From one group to another as he looks out. They're getting killed. They are considered as sheep to be slaughtered, being killed all the day long. But notice how he builds this case. Look at verse 5. They crush your people, O Yahweh. They afflict your heritage. The psalmist is drawing upon the love of God for his own people as an argument to save the people by bringing vengeance. Why do I draw that out? Simply to remind you and to remind myself that God's attributes are not separated from one another. We worship a God who is love and yet at the same time a God of vengeance. And this text draws upon the love of God that He has particularly for His own elect, for believers, as an argument to say, Lord, save. Lord, pay back what they deserve and save Your people. And verse 6, they slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. The most vulnerable in the land the widow who has no husband to provide for her. The stranger, the sojourner in the land of Israel who had no legal right to purchase permanent property and to provide for himself. So he was dependent upon the hospitality of the Israelites. And the orphan, literally the fatherless, those who have no father to provide for their needs and to protect them. No leader in the family. These are the most vulnerable to injustice. And they prey upon them. They choose them in particular to go after. And I want to show you this in the book of Deuteronomy. If you will, flip back with me. I want you to see the special love that God places upon the widow and the orphan and the stranger. Turn, first of all, to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Start reading in verse 12. Moses gives this great call to Israel. Now Israel, what does Yahweh your God require from you but to fear Yahweh your God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him? and to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep Yahweh's commandments and His statutes which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, Yahweh your God, to Yahweh your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on our fathers, on your fathers, did Yahweh set His affection to love them, and He chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. So here's the conclusion. Verse 16, So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer, for Yahweh your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Verse 18, He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows His love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. God has set a special love and protection in His law upon this, these groups of people. Turn now also to Deuteronomy 14. Let's just trace this out for a moment. Deuteronomy 14, in the last two verses, 28 and 29, God commands Israel, at the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year and shall deposit it in your town. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied 
in order that Yahweh your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. You are to take a tithe and you are to provide for the needs of this group of people because they have no way to provide for themselves. Turn now to chapter 16. Chapter 16 is when the nation of Israel gathers for its feasts and its celebrations. And in verse 10, God says, You shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks to Yahweh your God with a tribute of a freewill offering of your hand, which you shall give just as Yahweh your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before Yahweh your God, you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants and the Levite who is in your town and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your midst in the place where Yahweh your God chooses to establish His name, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. When you come to celebrate in worship before the Lord for all the abundance with which He blesses you, don't forget this group. Don't forget the widow and the orphan and the stranger for you once were strangers yourselves. Now what happens if Israel fails to take care of the widow and the orphan and the stranger. Turn to chapter 27. Chapter 27. Chapter 27 is the great table of curses that would come upon the nation of Israel if they failed to keep the law of God. If they failed to have circumcised hearts that loved the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind. These curses would come upon them. And look at verse 19. Cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan, and widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. God has marked out a special curse for the injustice due to these groups. Now take that in your mind and come back to Psalm 94. And the psalmist is looking around him and he says, God arrogantly with great boastful speech, they are crushing your people. And those that you have protected the most with your law, those they are quick to afflict. Those even they are quick to murder and to take away their lives. And here is the summation of his case. Moving from the mouth to the deeds to now the concluding thoughts. Verse 7, They have said, Yahweh does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. In summary, God is blind. We can do whatever we want. God doesn't see us. If there is a God, He doesn't pay heed. And that word pay heed is used throughout the wisdom literature for understanding and discernment. If you've got a legacy standard Bible in front of you, it says discern. And it's that picture of being able to distinguish differences between things practically. In a moral sense, to be able to distinguish good from evil. Or when you taste something, to be able to distinguish on your taste buds different flavors. Their summary, these wicked, God doesn't discern. God can't tell the difference between good and evil. He's blind. He can't see anything. There is no fear of God in this group. And this, the psalmist lays before the Lord. When he looks out upon his land and there is no fear of God in their eyes. This is a picture of the human depraved heart running rampant to its end decision when there is no fear of God in the land, the people will be quick to the greatest of sins, to the greatest of injustices. And the psalmist's one prayer is, how long, O Lord, until You 
shine forth. So that's the case that he lays out in front of the Lord. But now he shifts with me. And follow it with me in verse 8. He shifts now, having made his prayer to the Lord, he now issues a call to that same group. Verse 8, Pay heed, you senseless among the people, and when will you understand, stupid ones? And notice that he repeats the same word that he ended verse 7 with. It's the testimony of the evil and the idolatrous and the oppressors that God does not see their evil. God can't discern what they're doing. But he turns to them now and says, you discern. Oh, senseless ones. And when will you understand, stupid ones? This word senseless throughout the Psalms, it's, it's compared often to the, under, the difference in understanding between a, a human being and an animal. An animal cannot foresee his end. The animal cannot reason in a logical way. It just runs off of instinct. It just evaluates what's right in front of it. There's no ability to reason. And he says, you wicked among the people, you are senseless like beasts. Turn your eyes to back just a page to Psalm 92. Pick this up in verse 6. Here again, the same words. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this, that when the wicked sprouted up like grass and all who did iniquity flourished, it was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. That's the thing that the wicked don't understand. They can't see that end, that though they flourish on the earth and though they lift themselves up, it's only that they might be destroyed forevermore. There is an end coming because there is a judge who sees. There is a judge who sees. And just to comfort your heart in this as well, turn back to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. This is very much a, a parallel psalm to the one which we're looking at. And if you remember this psalm, Asaph is looking out upon the wicked and he sees their prosperity. And he is tempted to despair. He says in verse 16, When I pondered to understand this, why the wicked prosper and the righteous are suffering, he says it was troublesome in my sight. Verse 17, Until I came into the sanctuary of God, and then what? Then I perceived their end. In verse 21 and 22, he reflects upon this time when he was in doubt about this scenario. And he says, When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. See, there's a temptation both for the wicked not to see their own end and for the faithful not to remind themselves that their suffering will not last forever, that there is a judge who takes into account every single word and every single deed. And this call in verse 8 may even be for you this morning. In one of those two camps, either you are senseless to your own sin before a holy God, or you've allowed yourself to be so discouraged by the circumstances going on around us and the evil that we see on the news day in and day out, and you are tempted to despair and not set your mind on the end, on the final reward. So listen to these, this call from the psalmist. When will you understand, O stupid ones? Verse 9, He who planted the ear... Does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke? Even he who teaches man knowledge. And notice here, he moves in the exact same progression that he did when he was laying out a case. 
when he was praying to the Lord, he said, they speak arrogantly and they crush your people and their thoughts are that God does not see. God has no knowledge. And he follows the same progression. Verse 9, he who planted the ear, does he not hear? The one who fashioned the eardrum to vibrate and to create electrical signals that your brain can then interpret and discern into differing pitches and sounds and process spoken language. Does he not have the ability to hear the words that are gushing forth from your mouth? If he created the ear by which you hear, can he not hear the speech that pours forth from you? Oh, and he who planted the eye in you and formed it and created your pupil and iris and that process by which light is absorbed into your brain so that you can discern colors and light and darkness and depth perception. Does he not see what you put in front of your eyes? Does he not see what you do with your hands? Does he not see the evil which you have committed day after day after day. You would have to be a deaf man to think that God Almighty does not hear what you say. You would have to be a blind man to think that God Almighty does not see what you are doing. Oh, and you would have to be a man without knowledge at all if you think that the God who moves nations on this earth cannot deal with individuals. He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke these evil men? You'd have to be without knowledge. You'd have to be senseless and dumb. You'd have to be like an animal who has no knowledge of when he's being watched or heard. So pay heed. Return to a fear of the Lord because... Yahweh knows the thoughts of man, that they are a mere breath. And may I just make a call to you this morning? If you have fear of vengeance from God, would you let that fear cause you to run for refuge to the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you understand? Will you discern that God sees every single one of your deeds? That God hears every single one of your words? And that He knows your thoughts? Jesus said in John 3 that He didn't need anyone to tell Him concerning what was in man, for He Himself knew what was in man. Yahweh knows the thoughts of these senseless ones. But now there's another shift. This psalm is full of shifts. And as we move into stanza number three, now the psalmist issues a, a comfort in distress. A comfort in distress. And there's a great contrast now. He says, Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Yahweh. Now, you can't see this in English, but the word for man in verse 12 is different from the word for man in verse 11. In verse 12, it's a word for man that would present humanity in its strength. Uh, there are other various words surrounding this one that speak of mighty men, like the mighty men of David. And this word for man or mankind is to present to you a picture of man in strength and in flourishing as a man at the height of his powers. And so notice the contrast here. He's just given a call to those who are senseless, those who have lowered themselves down to the level of animals. And now he says, oh, but there's good news for you. There's good news to make you a man of strength, a person who is full of vigor. And what is that? The one who receives the discipline of the Lord. And here the psalm takes 
a dramatic shift. Up until now, we have been rehearsing the sins about which the psalmist sees and the evil that is constantly pouring out. But now he sets his eyes upon Yahweh and he says, Oh, how blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Yahweh, whom you teach out of your law. See, now in the psalmist's mind, the the circumstances have not changed, have they? But now he is receiving them as the discipline of the Lord upon his life. And he says, oh, how blessed it would be for every person who receives even the injustice of this world, even when you see yourself sinned against, even when they crush you and drive you to death, to receive that as the discipline of God for your blessing and to receive it as instruction alongside the law of God. Turn now with me to Psalm 119. I want to show you this in another place. Psalm 119, and we'll read the stanza together starting in verse 65. Verse 65, You have dealt well with Your servant, O Yahweh, according to Your Word. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in Your commandments. And here it is, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep Your Word. You are good and do good. Teach me Your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe Your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat. Something that's covered in fat doesn't feel. It's senseless. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in Your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn Your statutes. The law of Your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now come back to Psalm 94 with me. This is how you wait upon the Lord when you see injustice, when you see sin coming against you to crush you. How blessed you are to receive even the sin against you as the discipline of the Lord for your good and to use that suffering, that experience, as an opportunity to remind you of truth from God's Word. Oh, and look at the effect Verse 13, that you may grant him relief from the days of adversity until a pit is dug for the wicked. Here is relief, O Christian. Will you redeem your trial for spiritual use? That's what this psalm offers to you. You have only a short time until a pit is completed for the wicked to fall down into. Will you make the most of the injustice that's done against you to receive it from the hand of a loving God, reminding yourselves that what men mean for evil, God intends for good? And that will give you relief. That will grant you relief even in the days of adversity, even in the days of evil. When you come to the Lord, and your parents reject you, then you can set your mind on the truth that Jesus shared with His disciples. No one who has given up family or fields for My name will not also receive in this life a hundred times as much and in the life to come, eternal life. Use that trial to set your mind upon the truth of Scripture. When they come to deny you a job because... You will not agree to deny the image of God and man that He made them male and female. You can rejoice knowing that even in poverty, He who was rich became poor so that you and your poverty might become rich in Him. That you have all the riches 
in the heavenly places in Christ. And when they come for your life to throw you into the prisons or to murder you and to beat your body, you can set your mind upon the truth that there is a body prepared for you that will never perish and never fade away, that will be perfectly fitted for the worship of God. Use your injustice committed against you as an opportunity to run to the law so that the law of the words of God's mouth are sweeter to you and more valuable to you than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The psalmist finds great assurance in this principle. And he repeats in verse 14, Yahweh will not abandon His people, nor will He forsake His inheritance. Earlier, he was laying out the case and he was saying, Lord, your people, they are crushing. Your heritage, they are afflicting. Oh, but my soul need not worry. God will never cast away His people. God will never forsake that for which Christ shed His blood. Set your mind upon that truth. And then come from there and set your mind now upon the end which the wicked cannot see. Set your mind upon the future. Verse 15, For judgment will again be righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. All the upright in heart will come after that judgment. There will come a day when God will shine forth and He will make every wrong right. And He will render to every man according to His deeds. And justice will be established upon the earth. And in that day, what will come after that judgment? Only those who are upright in heart. Only those who long for that city in which righteousness dwells. So in the midst of the trial, in the midst of seeing sin and evil throughout the whole world, Set your mind upon the end. Judgment will again be righteous. And now I, I need to pause and just ask the question after having looked at the second and third stanza with you. Which kind of person are you? Are you one who is quick to receive from the Lord's hand both good and adversity? to take your trials as an opportunity to remind you of truth and to thank God and find relief? Or are you failing to discern those, that principle? Or perhaps you are by nature still in the second stanza, senseless and stupid before the Lord, lifting yourself up before God. And I would call out to you this morning, if your senses are awakening and you begin to see the end of your life and know that God sees every deed and hears every word and knows every thought, then my call to you would be, hear this, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Hear the call of Christ to you this morning to find refuge from the vengeance of God that is rising up against you. And see the Savior Jesus Christ dying on the cross for sinners. And that God now extends to you salvation by faith alone in Him. That there is no other name given to men by which you must be saved. There is no other name by which you can escape this mounting vengeance and recompense coming exactly for your sins. And I would cry out to you, my friend, verse 13 is not yet done. The pit is being dug for the wicked. Hell as Charles Spurgeon said, is a prepared place for a prepared people. But the time is not yet complete. There is still time to run to Christ. There is still time to be snatched out of that pit of sin. Let not you 
Go away from this message and go back to digging the pit yourself with your own deeds and reviling the patience and kindness of the Lord that is meant to bring you to repentance. That day has not yet come and there is mercy still extending to you this day if you will humble yourself and cry out to this God and agree with Him that you have been arrogant and senseless and stupid and you need salvation in Christ. Oh, may you do that. Oh, may the Spirit awaken your senses this morning and run to Him. Now, let's turn and look at the final stanza. The final stanza. And I've called this the captain in the conflict because the psalmist now comes back to the question, verse 16, who will stand up for me against evildoers? Who will take his stand for me against those who do wickedness? Pete read earlier for us from Isaiah where the Lord looks out and sees that there is no man. There is no one to stand up for justice. And so He takes it upon Himself to arm Himself for battle, to come with vengeance in His heart, to repay the deeds of evil and to save His people. And this is the obvious answer to the psalmist's question. Who is there to stand up for me against evildoers? Answer, Yahweh and Yahweh alone. Verse 17, If Yahweh had not been my help, my soul would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence. Psalm 115, verse 17 say, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. This word for silence is a picture of death, isn't it? This psalmist had experienced a near-death experience. And he says, if God had not been my help in that moment, I would not still be left to praise Him. Which tells us what? That while we are still left here, we are here to lift high the praises of God. We are here to call upon Him for help. Verse 18, if I should say, my foot has slipped. Your loving kindness, O Yahweh, will hold me up. You will be my support in any trial. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. I love this verse. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, when the trial becomes so severe that I cannot even control the multiplications of my anxieties. In that moment, your consolations, O God, your comforts, your succor, delight my soul. To go from a place of multiplying anxiety to abounding joy in the Lord. But it only happens when my anxieties are being multiplied in this trial. Which tells us what? It tells us that God has fashioned to supply you with a particular mercy in a particular trial. That when you are crushed under the weight of sin coming against you, when you cannot see out and see the future, in that moment, the Lord has prepared for you particular comforts and consolations by which you may delight your soul. One of the greatest benefits to my heart um, uh, a year ago in seminary was uh, assigned to me by Peter Sammons in Puritan theology class. And he had us read many accounts of the Scottish Covenanters who were martyred for their faith in the 1660s. Story after story and testimony after testimony of men who went to the hangman's noose or to the torturer or to the executioner's gun for the Lord's sake, not recanting their faith in Christ 
And what so amazed me in all of these testimonies was the delight in their soul to have the privilege of dying for Christ. Let me read to you a quote from a letter from one man who wrote to his wife on his dying day from prison. He says this, Oh, my heart, come and see, I beseech you. I thought that I had known something of my dearest Lord before, but never was it so with me as since I came within the walls of this prison. He is without all comparison. Oh, love, love Him. Oh, taste and see. And that shall solve the question best. I never tasted of my dearest Lord Jesus like I have since they put me in prison to die. That is the promise of this verse extended to you while you wait on the Lord for Him to save you. That is the captain in the conflict. That the psalmist would look upon the Lord and see Him as the source of all His delight even while He bears up underneath the gravest of evils. And now he closes the psalm. And he lays out the same case that we saw before. Can a throne of destruction be allied with you, one which devises mischief by decree? They band themselves together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But Yahweh has been my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. Verse 20, can a throne of destruction be allied with you? Obvious answer, no. No, it cannot. And friends, I'm sure you noticed this past week that in our own land, the United States Senate sought to legislate to make legal abortion throughout the land from the federal level down. This is what's going on in this verse the throne of destruction that seeks to devise mischief by decree to make it a law to sin against God, to allow for sin, and to crush those who would seek righteousness. My friend, it is not long coming when it will be the law of the land to crush, to allow for the crushing and the murdering of Christians. We have seen that already develop in Canada. And it is certainly coming, if not in our own generation, then in our children's generation. But no matter what they may be able to claim, saying, I can do this because it's the law of the land, we know that it is not right in the Lord's sight. Wickedness is still wickedness. And evil is still evil. And though they band themselves together to come for the life of the righteous, we have a captain who will plead our case. I want you to hear another one of the Scottish covenanters the day he went to the hangman's noose. And he knelt in his jail cell and he prayed, Lord, we come to Thy throne, a place we hitherto have not been acquainted with, Earthly kings' thrones have advocates against poor men, but thy throne has Jesus Christ, an advocate for us. Our prayer this day is not to be free from death, but that we may witness before many witnesses a good confession. Oh, may that be your prayer. May that be in your heart when that comes against you, when that comes against us as a church. May we be able to say, I have a greater advocate in heaven. I have a greater captain in this conflict that is arrayed against me. Oh, and His consolations are the delight of my soul. That is what will sustain you in the waiting Though they band themselves together, verse 22, Yahweh has been my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He has brought back their wickedness upon them and will destroy them in their evil. Yahweh our God will destroy them. And he comes back to this picture of the vengeance of God when it does shine forth 
on the earth. And I want to draw your attention to that as we close. Turn once again to Isaiah. Pete read for us earlier from Isaiah 59 about God putting on righteousness like a breastplate and as a helmet, salvation. But turn to Isaiah 63, and there's another picture here of the same truth. What is it that the psalmist wants to set his eyes upon in the end to give him comfort? Isaiah 63, verse 1, Who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Bozrah? This one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength, It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the wine through alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my raiment." For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, and there was no one to help, and I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. This is our captain. This is Jesus Christ coming again to conquer the nations, to tread, as Revelation says, the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. He looked and there was no one to support. So he put on his armor and he will come again in triumph. Yahweh our God will destroy those who raise themselves up against Him. May I just say, He comes to make the wicked nations drunk with the well-mixed cup of God's wrath. The one who has already drained that cup for all who trust in Him. The one who already felt the fury of the wrath of God fall upon Him on the cross now has the single and sole right to be the judge of the earth and to come and make recompense to evil. My friend, your hope must be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Either the cup of God's wrath has been satisfied in Him forever for you to be received by trust alone. Or otherwise, He will pour out that wrath upon you when He comes. And may we be a people who is so astonished by that reality that we consider it a privilege to bear the marks of Jesus Christ in our own bodies as we wait for that day Even as Revelation says to the complaints of the martyrs, just a little while longer. Let's pray. Father, You are a God of vengeance. Your your justice is perfect. Lord, we groan like the psalmist as we look out upon our own land, upon our own nation that does devise evil against You by law and by decree. We ask, Father, that You would make us people who find relief in days of adversity, who are blessed to be disciplined by You and to receive instruction from Your law. Oh God, make us a people abundant in evangelism to call out to the senseless around us to wake up and to live, to find refuge from the wrath that is coming. Lord, may each of us here today be prepared to see Christ face to face. To see the One 
whose body was crushed for His people so that we might not be crushed when He comes, but rather may rejoice in Him who comes to establish righteousness on the earth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from our guest speaker. For more information about the ministry of the Grace Life Pulpit, visit at www.thegracelifepulpit.com. Please note, law prohibits the unauthorized copying or distributing of this audio file. Requests for permission to copy or distribute are made in writing to the Grace Life Pulpit. Copyright by the Grace Life Pulpit. All rights reserved.